Holy jeez. Holy moly. Fortnite banned. It all started yesterday. The news broke. You sent me a message. You said you're not going to believe what just happened. You said, we got a lot to talk about. Oh, you yeah. said, I got so many words. I got so many takes. I said, Will, that's not like you. Yes. But then I followed it up and I said, you know, whatever you got to say to the world, then we're going to make some space for you tomorrow. Oh, boy. We're going to let you air it out, whatever it happens to be, and your opportunities right now. Well, you can go ahead first. And, uh, <laughs> really. Apple banned Sparks court action from Epic Games. We heard the news first on the iOS side. I'm going to mm-hmm. get to the Android side on the, in the next on the next article because they are quite different. The iOS relationship with apps, the Apple App Store, and the Google Play Store, similarities but differences because the platforms are different in how they operate. Mm-hmm. And so there's an effect and an impact to that. Now, Epic Games has not been happy with either of these app stores for a little bit of time, to say the least. And actually, they're not alone. A number of developers not so satisfied with the current setup, the current revenue uh, take, the current percentage of revenue take that ends up in Apple's hands and pockets when anything happens through the app store, including in-app purchases. So let me just break this down for you, Will. Here's what happened. Apple has made a boatload of money from Fortnite, from Epic Games. Well, Epic Games, arguably, if you're on Apple's side, has made a boatload of money from Apple Mm -hmm. and the App Store because they were in there. And then, Now, obviously, there's a partnership taking place, but the question is, what is the correct split? Epic Games goes ahead yesterday and enables an opportunity in their app to bypass the Apple App Store purchasing process, and instead buy V-Bucks, which is the in-game currency for Fortnite, to buy V-Bucks directly from them at a discount. Instead of $10, you'd pay Mm $7.99 for the same number of V-Bucks. Who's not going to take that deal? I'm going to take that deal. Everybody's going to take that deal. But in doing so, in enabling the Epic direct payment, they knew at that moment they were going to be in violation of Apple's terms. Mm-hmm. Apple's terms stating that if you make if you do this type of in-app purchase, we're going to get our piece. Mm-hmm. Tim's going to get his piece. You're going to try and pull something like this. So the difference in price, the discrepancy was $9.99 versus $7.99. And this is key, Will. I'll tell you why this is key. Because what they want to show the customer is just how much Apple's taking and saying, hey, if Apple didn't take that piece, here's what your price would look like. Yes. You see, they want to make it clear that these savings would be passed on to you. And why would they want to do that, Well, Because they want to paint those guys as the bad guys and say, hey, we're the good guys in this story. Yeah, and let the, let the audience know or, or the consumer that uh, they're getting cut. Apple's it's getting a cut. It's because every story needs a hero and a villain. Mm-hmm. And they knew ahead of time that once this thing hit, that conversation was going to start. Who's good? Who's bad? Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to say they're the bad ones when they were going to give you the product you wanted for less. Even though they bank so heavily on the existence of the App Store up until this point. Yes. So listen, I don't, I know the value of having a popular app in the App Store and having access to billions of devices. Mm -hmm. You cannot, that has a value. The only, it's not about having a conversation around whether there's value there or not. It's about having a conversation around what is that value worth. Yes. And when Tim Cook showed up in Congress and they were having all these conversations about the, the app store monopoly, mm-hmm. this is what it was about. It's, should this really be 30%, which is what it currently is? Mm-hmm. Should Apple earn 30% of every single in-app purchase or should it be closer to 10%, which is an idea that's been floated? Now, Apple says we don't make those types of uh, concessions. We, don't, we, don't, we have an agreement across the board. We don't make special deals. They have made special deals in the past after the emails uh, leaked. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Eddie Q who had been speaking to Amazon and with the book deal, they cut some sort of a deal. I mean, these are very loose details in my mind right now, but I recall reading this around the time of that uh, original uh, presentation in Congress. Eddie Q emails confirm Apple deal to cut Amazon app store fees. So yes, 
concessions have been made in the past. So Epic is sitting there saying, we're doing boatloads of revenue. And, and it is important to note, right? If you're a small-time developer, you need Apple's you need access to Apple's App Store to get up and running, right. to get your thing out there. And 30% to you as a total lump sum figure is one is is relatively small because you're not generating that much revenue. But in a in a V-Buck world, right? Just to be in that app store, now you're talking, I don't know, is it billions? It's definitely many, many, many millions of dollars that's going to Apple just for that listing. Mm-hmm. So should it be a tiered scale? I'm just going to make a suggestion, a tiered scale that above a certain amount, that 30% could drop down because the actual expenditure on Apple's end might not be the same for right. that listing in order to support that particular listing. I don't know. I'm not staring at the back end. Now, the reason the ban on iOS is more significant than the ban on Android is because outside of jailbreaking, which a very small percentage of people would actually do on their device, the App Store is the only way to install something onto your phone. And so as soon as they enable this particular workaround on the app, they then wait. They sit and wait for Apple to ban the app, which they did, and then immediately they launch the lawsuit publicly and a video Mm -hmm. premised on Apple's famous 1984, they call it 1984 night. Probably the most famous Apple commercial ever. You think I could play this? I don't know if you can play it. I wouldn't play it. Okay. Warning, third-party content may contain... Okay, I don't know. I wouldn't play it. It's on trending right now. Mm. N- 1980 Fortnite. And and Fortnite's user base is enormous. And they start showing this particular video inside of the game. So right. people can watch it. So they can, again, paint this picture that Apple is the villain in the story. Mm-hmm. And to get people thinking differently about a brand that's typically perceived as being friendly. Mm-hmm. And they say, no, they're not friendly because they won't work with us. And you know behind the scenes, there must have been discussions prior to this. Epic probably said, hey, now that this thing is so successful, can we renegotiate the terms to have something favorable? And they were trying to launch their own installers in other places in order to get around this. Mm. I feel the need to restate right now There is a tremendous value being inside the app store and it is worth something. Right. No, you would be, you would have to be crazy to, to try to make the argument that it's worth nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were, we were, we were privileged for a period of time on the the desktop based operating systems that these types of stores didn't exist because it would have made things probably more expensive. Mm And we could you could just install whatever you wanted, and there were benefits and drawbacks to that. And even Microsoft has their own store now within right. Windows, and Apple's App Store has. There's a version of it on Mac. By the way, Fortnite on Mac still works because yes. it's not an exclusive type of thing. But in this day and age, in the mobile era which we're in right now, the App Store is a place you need to be. It's a place you need to be, and this is the case that. Epic is going to make. They're going to say, in order for anyone to be competitive right now, you have to be here. Mm-hmm. And if you have to be here, then we're going to make the case that it's a monopoly or they're calling it a duopoly because they're including Google in, this, in the situation here. Mm-hmm. So on the iOS side, outside of jailbreaking, this game is gone. If you have the game installed, you will be able to continue to play it. But that, that when that next update comes out, night, night. Right. And that's a massive user base that's going to be upset and where are they going to channel their anger that's the question epic has done a good job of painting this picture of apple as the villain and if that enormous user base decides that apple is the enemy and not epic which they might that eventually ends up somewhere on apple's bottom line as people choose different devices and in our next story i'm going to tell you why there's the potential for people to choose a different device if they're a Fortnite fan, of which there are many, regardless of whether whether or not you or I is, Will. Mm-hmm. We have to admit this is a wildly popular game. Yes. And so obviously we got to cover the Android piece as well. Fortnite for Android has also been co- kicked off the Google Play Store. This happened shortly after we got the news on the iOS front. Now let me tell you why this is different. Android, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure many do. Android 
the ability exists on Android to install apps outside of the Play Store. Mm -hmm. And this has been this way for a while. And this isn't, by the way, exclusive to going and finding an APK somewhere and installing it that way. Mm. There are plenty of ways in which this happens, including stores like Samsung's very own store, mm. which ships on their devices, wildly popular, huge footprint. Mm -hmm. So as it stands right now, the case, it's tougher to make the villain case against Google, even though Google takes the same cut, 30%. At least other app repositories exist in the form of, say, Samsung's App Store. As much as Google might not like it, it exists. And Epic right now is encouraging people, even incentivizing people through discounts to go get the game off the Samsung Store. Right. And how easy would it be for, you know, Epic Games to just upload the APK onto their website? Well, they ha they they have their own installer that you right. can you can install their installer. Yeah. And go about it that direction as well. And they can find ways to incentivize you to do that. Mm -hmm. So the reason this is big is that even if it doesn't fit on the Play Store, it doesn't mean it can't fit on Android. Whereas on the iOS side, if it doesn't fit in the App Store, that means it's not going to be on devices at all mm -hmm. outside of you doing a jailbreak, which, as I mentioned, is more complicated and the vast majority of users aren't mm -hmm. going to be interested in doing that, particularly when it comes to updates and all the rest of it. It can be a bit of a headache for the average customer, for the average Fortnite player. Yes. Now, on the Google front, what's interesting, in the documents, there are there's some details inside of the lawsuit talking about the OnePlus Fortnite collaboration and what's interesting there is i actually made a video on this when i believe it was 90 fps exclusive oneplus feature launched on the fortnite app mm. and i actually showcased the installer in india which was live at the time mm -hmm. but apparently according to the lawsuit pressure was applied via google looking to remove that installer from those devices and as soon as i say google has started you see, it started with the Whoa. the assistant was triggered by that. So now they're listening to me. Google's saying, hey, shh, Lou, shh. Easy there. Don't but anyway, it, this buddy. is in the lawsuit. This is public now. You can go read it for yourself. It's public now. And they said, hey, don't do that. Of course, the Play Store, they want their 30%. Who wouldn't? That's what they've been getting. But again, their wall is not as rigid mm -hmm. as it is on iOS. So you go and take them to court and you sue them, and that's the case they're going to make. They're going to say, it's no monopoly. Look at the Samsung store. Mm -hmm. Look at all these other various stores and installers that exist, and look at the fact that we give you the ability, if you want, to install from third-party sources, which is in there on Android. It takes a few clicks, but it's in there on Android. So a couple different things can happen here. You go through this court case without some sort of settlement between Epic and Apple, and the court system could sit there and say, you know what, we agree, this is anti-competitive. We want to open things up. We want you to make it possible, Apple, take your 30%, fine, but we want you to make it possible for people to install from elsewhere. Hmm. Can you imagine a future in which you have other places to get apps on iOS? Right. I mean, it's a pretty wild yeah. consideration. And then on the other side, they come to a settlement, in which case... They chop that percentage, that fee, to a point at which Epic is happy, and then the other, and then they apply these similar negotiations or tiered system or something like this to other brands that are upset. Another one is Spotify. Spotify came out and applauded Epic. Mm -hmm. Spotify said this is this is exactly what the industry needs because Spotify's been complaining about it forever. And you could make the argument Spotify is even even in a tougher spot than Epic. Spotify is trying to sell you a music product, Will, for a monthly fee. And that monthly fee on your iOS device sends 30% to your direct competitor, who happens to be Apple trying to sell you Apple Music. Hmm. So they're saying, look, we're investing in the company we're competing against. Now, that happens. We talk all the time about Apple buying screens, displays hmm. from Samsung. It can happen. And you could say, hey, they want to play, they got to pay to play. They want to be in the app store. They want access to billions of customers. Apple gets to set it straight. They get to say what they want. But Spotify's argument is, hey, you, the customer, stop being such a fan of Apple and think of it this way. If we leave the app store and competition goes down, Apple can raise their prices. Mm -hmm. Apple can do all sorts of 
things that could hurt you, the customer. That's at the core of the anti-competitive argument, is that if one particular group gets too powerful, you lose your options. Mm -hmm. And if you lose your options, if, if historically you end up paying more. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the customer opinion matters. And that's why this conversation is way bigger than Fortnite. Now, before any of this plays out in court, I think it's important to note that the average Fortnite player who's affected right now, the average person watching this video, is going to be looking twice at iOS thinking, as much as I might like that next iPhone, this has the potential to give birth to some pretty uh, potentially uh, damaging scenarios for me as an iOS user. Mm -hmm. If other apps follow suit and are removed or remove themselves from the app store, the iOS, iOS experience changes quite a bit. Now, you might be satisfied with Apple's apps, and that's all you need to use. But these massive third-party titles, if this boycott becomes bigger you might find yourself looking for a platform that gives you a little bit more control mm -hmm. over what you install on it. That's correct. Oh, and did you, and since you wanted me to go first, if you have anything you'd like to add, uh, now would be the time before we move on from the Fortnite topic. No, I think you touched on a lot of points. I do agree with the tier system in a way where, you know, if, if a company is, is big enough, like Epic, they should maybe get more of a cut. Epic should get Apple should get less of a cut. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because you're talking about like billions of dollars potentially. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same listing on the App Store that the independent d developer with a hundred, a yeah. hundred downloads is paying the same fee. Yeah. I mean, look, Apple's playing in the game space now too with Apple Arcade. Mm -hmm. Right. And and who knows what their plans are with that. They can so easily just put the top of Apple, a certain Apple game, like up to the top. Absolutely. The Absolutely. Google gets accused of it all the time with yeah. search. Yeah. Put a Google product. Mm -hmm. This is at the root of what's happening in Congress. This is it playing out without Congress. I mean, there is a lawsuit, but it's playing out in the court of public opinion. If everybody comes together and says, we could all benefit through a better distribution if everybody let's say people actually get on apple's case with this and it, and apple fears for their bottom line if people don't pick up those devices because they're worried about which apps they can put on it or not put on it there could be enough pressure applied even outside of the lawsuit for them to settle quickly and figure out a working solution the question is is epic big enough is fortnite big enough to be that spark Mm -hmm. That's that gets this conversation rolling and keeps it rolling, or maybe even encourages other developers to do the same. Right. It could get interesting fast. Now, I, like I said, I'm not a player. I don't play this game on mobile, but I know it's an enormous user base. And I think a good way to think about this, if you're not a Fortnite player yourself, is just picture your favorite app. Whatever app you yes. use the most, put it in the place of, of Fortnite here, and then imagine you couldn't use it anymore and what that might mean to you. And of course, people in China are considering this right now mm -hmm. with a potential ban of WeChat, 95% saying they would leave iOS if WeChat gets banned, of course, for completely different reasons. But it's it really gets you thinking about how your phone is is a just, window into apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and just a driver to something that's more important, which are the apps. Exactly. So without the apps, or at least the apps that you're looking for, it, uh, well, we're just so used to the idea of them being there and being available. Mm -hmm. But if this thing becomes bigger, we're gonna, I think we're going to pay a lot more attention to which apps uh, are and aren't there. Mm. iPhone 12, all, apparently all iPhone 12 models, there, there was an early rumor that they weren't all going to be 5G. Now it looks like they will all carry 5G and of course, Apple and many analysts are thinking that 5G could be this, this major transition point that where, where a number of people who have been putting off upgrading their phones would now make the transition. Mm -hmm. That possibly once these phones drop, they'll be able to showcase some things that they're able to do over 5G that wouldn't be possible over the older network protocol. And 
that they may be the first to really push the 5G tech. And they've been great in the past at articulating why you want something. Right. Why the public should want something. Because up until this point, it's a weird thing about 5G. 5G has... It elicits all kinds of responses from people. You have 5G conspiracy theorists that it's uh, destroying your cells and yes. uh, whatever else. You have uh, f the 5G, people who are excited about 5G. You have the uh, 5G conversations around Huawei and then it brings on the political perspective. But at its root, the concept is really broadband-like connectivity, but mobile, mm -hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Tremendously fast connections, just at its at its root level. Yes. Outside of all the extra noise that's going on there, yet it feels that the carriers and manufacturers really haven't done that much, uh, yeah. haven't done a great job of showcasing that root, that core functionality to get us excited about it. And granted, I, I understand that the networks aren't necessarily ready to start marketing it to us, depending on which region you're in. But Apple might be that company that can. Just whatever, put it in terms yeah, that get like a use case that it. gets people going. Yep. They just go on stage, assuming people are on stage at that point, mm. and be like, "Look, it, I'm playing a game instantly at this frame rate, and it's all thanks to 5G." You see what you see how they're going to do it? Mm -hmm. They're going to do it in such a in such a way that gets people motivated. Now, analysts looked at this information, these these rumors, and supply chain stuff that point at these upcoming 5G phones and they say oh this is great this, you, you want to be invested people with iPhone 6s are going to upgrade when they see what 5G is capable of and see it as a next generation but I'm a bit concerned about that pitch because of the numbers I was seeing from the last quarter about the average purchase price of a smartphone so far in 2020 and ha it having dipped $50 from the same period the year before. Hmm. So our last episode, we're sitting there talking about how, how, how likely the growth driver for units shipped for Apple was probably the iPhone SE mm -hmm. and not a flagship model. And it comes back to the conversation that you and I, I have so many times on this show about cost sensitivity right now and also just the general trend towards that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not certain, even with all of Apple's marketing power, that 5G is enough to convince people to spend 700 or higher on a smartphone. I'm not saying people won't do it. Of course, people will do it. But the question is, to what extent? Yes. And if that's what the customer actually wants, comparative to, the, to a low-priced model like the iPhone SE. So, of course, time will tell. You can't, it's hard to do a 5G model at that lower price tag right now. Right. So, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, uh, that they have to do it or that I would expect them to. I'm just kind of just chilling out a little bit on how successful these will be and if they will or will not exceed expectations. They're going to have a new form factor, that little tiny one, which is kind of like the SE everybody wanted. And maybe if they did something radical with the price, you could get people really cooking over it. But uh, for the time being, it just seems to me that anything close to $1,000, people are lukewarm on mm -hmm. for the time being, even, even with 5G, because we've seen 5G devices, of course, on the Android side. Microsoft put out a 35-minute demo video of their upcoming Surface Duo, the ins and outs. Speaking of a device not carrying 5G, but still having a hefty price tag. Now, they get to their $13.99 price tag because, they, because I feel they're pitching this thing not as much as a phone, but kind of like a phone, tablet, laptop crossover. It's supposed to be all those things. And the Surface brand has been toying with this for a while. Like, what is, what's your computer thing? And I don't mind it. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't mind it. I sat here and watched a portion of the 35-minute demonstration video, very casual, very off the cuff. And I immediately recognized a number of use cases in which I would love to be holding this thing mm. on the couch. 
I mean, this is a couch device, I'll tell you what. Though the they they had a couple marketing things they said in the presentation. It it's the Windows you love and the Android you know, I believe is how they phrased it. And you you may not like the marketing terminology, hmm. but the truth is these are two softwares, two software companies who have a lot of experience. We have to admit it. Mm -hmm. And even though Microsoft has mostly failed at mobile, failed in the sense that we don't have it anymore. We don't you don't have Windows Phone. Mm. Microsoft's Microsoft's take on Android might be something interesting. And so I'm sitting here watching this demo and I'm mostly excited around how the device is able to guess what you want to do based on what you open and how you might want to use the secondary display. And also the various animations that take place spanning an app across both displays or uh, moving a window from one display to the other. Mm. Multitasking on the smartphone has been problematic because of the screen sizes. Even when you step up to something like a Galaxy Fold, which I experimented with for a while, you there's something about the unique way in which every Android device with multi-window or multi-view or whatever you call it, they call it, whichever brand it happens to be, where you're, you just find yourself resizing and you're just running out of space. It's hard, even with the bigger phones of today, whether like it's a Note or whatever it happens to be. This one, you don't have that experience based on what I've seen in this demonstration video. This one really feels like it encourages you to multitask because you're constantly looking at two screens. Mm -hmm. You're just sitting there staring at two screens. How are you not going to use two screens? You, you'll right. find a way to do it and you may train yourself to do more on mobile than you've done before. Hmm. It's, a, it's a long press briefing. It's 35 minutes. I appreciate the casual nature of it. You're laughing because this show is often far longer than 35 minutes. Yeah. But we pack it in. We pack the stuff in here, Will. Yes. We're very efficient. Summarizing. It's, yes. And paraphrasing. It's many stories. Come on. But, yes, the two apps at once thing, the seamless. Now, he hand-selected certain scenarios and apps that appear to work well with the dual display situation. There might be others that could be a mess. We don't know. I mean, here's an example of Spotify and email. That's a nice little setup. You're scrolling your email. <laughs> Come on, we're on the couch. I hear you. It's it's looking pretty good. It's kind of cool. And I'm just excited for new form factors. So even though in the past story, I'm talking about cost sensitivity, this one gets me excited, even though it's $1,400. $1,400 is actually the problem with this device. Few people will experiment with it because it's just so expensive. Would you use it as a phone? Yeah, I would try to do the whole deal on it. I don't often put the phone to my head anyways. It's a lot of messaging and uh, communication through text and, and email and all the rest of it. So it might not be a big deal for me to go to something like that. But it would be a hard transition to imagine that as your phone. Mm. Uh, the hardware looks promising. I've been a fan of Surface hardware for a while. The design, the Surface laptop is nicely put together. And so I, I know they can do that. And I'm just, I'm really curious on the day-to-day -to, -day to just see this hybrid, this merging of Microsoft and Android. And, and also just Microsoft admitting, we can partner with Android, it's okay. You can yeah. partner. They're partnering with people. Microsoft seems like the friendly one right now. Yes. Which is hilarious because they were always the big bad Microsoft. Now they're partnering with Samsung. As mentioned with the Note, they had the better integration with Windows with the Note and yep. the game partnership with the Xbox Cloud stuff mm -hmm. they had with Samsung. And here they're partnering with Google. It's incredible. Imagine what you can achieve through partnership, Will. Together is better. Together is better. Is that? That's their uh, That's their tagline. Slogan, yeah. That's their tagline. Very interesting. It's probably overpriced because it's like a first gen thing and it's an unusual form factor. It probably could have been a thousand bucks, but they're going to sell it for 1400. The early adopters will get it and experiment and hopefully everything is good. I'll be checking it out for you. It comes out pretty soon, doesn't it? Or we can at least, you can order it pretty soon. Yeah, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Willie Do's working on it. We're going to get one. Shipping in less than a month. So Willie Do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get cracking. Hit up Mr. Panay and uh, see what you can do. All right. Chinese firms 
have been hit by new import hurdles in India. We've talked a lot about sentiment in India, about a potential shift. We've talked about, in fact, something very similar to this with Apple. When Apple was trying to get parts, so quick little recap. Apple does a certain portion of iPhone assembly in India, but those parts still have to come from China. There's been increasing scrutiny on incoming shipments that hit the border where they want to they they want to be inspected, hmm. right? There's been increasing delays at the border. Now, the story we talked about recently with Apple, they made there was a compromise. They said, "Okay, Apple, this stuff's going to Foxconn in India. We're going to we're going to just we're going to put that on the express lane hmm. and get that through to you because we're shaking hands and touching elbows." Yeah, no inspection there. Everybody's friendly. However, that hasn't that doesn't appear to be the case for firms like Xiaomi. Xiaomi's now facing delays getting approvals from India's quality control agency for their goods. Five industry sources told Reuters. Five. Well, not one source. Five sources. Oh. You better believe oh it. Greater scrutiny of Chinese imports follows calls for boycotts from nationalist groups. So this is the increasing tension that we've been talking about for a number of reasons. Xiaomi accounts for some Xiaomi and Oppo account for I believe eight out of ten smartphones in India I mean you want to talk about dominant big league big league chew you remember big league chew of course what was your favorite flavor was it grape, grape? yeah grape yeah grapes a hot flavor when the candy place was open in the mall when life used to be somewhat normal the candy place at the mall had every single flavor, including ones I never saw as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, it was incredible. But there's, you know, you got watermelon and bubblegum original flavor, obviously. A couple of other ones. Blue raspberry, I believe, was another oh. one in there. Big League Chew, for those that don't know, Willie Do just showed it to you. It's, it's bubblegum, by the way. Yes. But it makes you feel like a big league player. Yeah. It's actually based on chewing tobacco. Which, <laughs> imagine giving that to kids today. They can't make that today. No. Chinese smartphone brands. Oppo and Xiaomi account for 8 out of 10 smartphones sold in India. The two companies assemble most of their models in India, but several components are imported from China. So what does this mean, Will? Well, it means it's going to be tougher to do business. If all of a sudden you've got this stuff hung up at the border and you've got timelines to, to meet mm -hmm. and you have to do your assembly in India to avoid the tariffs that will be applied if the assembly took place elsewhere and then the full completed unit was sitting there waiting for approval to get into that market right so you have to you're doing the assembly in india but you can't get the parts in so you can't assemble mm -hmm. and everything gets backed up and delayed and your launches get missed and it's hard to be competitive with those types of delays mm -hmm. so can they will they get a similar bypass to what apple did or are they going to be treated differently mm. you know apple's got a fancy hq over there uh, over there in uh, California. Mm -hmm. What is it? Cupertino. Yes. Just just south of uh, San Francisco over there. You ever been over there, Will? No. Um, hopefully soon. Really? Yeah. You got plans? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they got a fancy, you know, the spaceship looking thing and... They're taking care of your data and everything. <laughs> Whatever their pitch happens to be, they get the exclusive yeah. treatment. We'll see if the same is true for these other companies. But in the meantime, they're going to be potentially affected and impacted, and their ability to remain competitive is uh, up in the air at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, Or it's sitting there at the border waiting to be inspected, Yeah, more specifically. Instagram gets caught keeping deleted photos and messages on its servers for more than a year after the delete. Aren't you offended, Will? You thought the thing was gone. You deleted it. Yeah. That salacious photo. No, no, There's no. Many. Zuckerberg's, he's, that's just a bedtime reading for Zuckerberg. For some reason, I kind of expected it. I was going to, that know, was my question. Kind of like deactivating your uh, Facebook account still there yeah what's yeah. deactivated what's deleted so 
Facebook claims, I think, that it takes about 90 days. They claim, oh, yeah, we're going to, yeah, 90 days, your data will be completely removed. It's like, sure, bud. Uh, they have, uh, the, the, the way that this got found out is uh, this guy had requested his information. You can do this. You can request your information from Facebook, Instagram, and in certain places, it's mandated by government that they have to supply it to you if you ask for it. So he wanted to check if it was true, 90 days, is my stuff really deleted? Let's see what they supply me with. They supply him with the whole boatload, and he sees stuff from a year ago that they didn't delete. Mm. They say, oh, yeah, that was just a bug in our system. And the guy who found it has been re uh, rewarded $6,000 for finding that bug. Thank you for highlighting that. You give him 6000 bucks. He's supposed to shut up after the 6000 Instead, he goes and talks to the Verge. Mm-hmm. So he took the money? I believe he actually talked to TechCrunch and then The Verge <laughs> and then The Verge reported it. I don't think when you find a bug, there's any kind of uh, non-disclosure in there that you've, right. you know, I think it's just, it is, you can talk about it. You're allowed to talk about it publicly. Uh, but yeah, the question I have for you was when you post something to any social media platform, do you and then and then later on you delete it you're like me you assume it's somewhere on a server somewhere mm -hmm. forever some or sort of backup or it's in some kind of neural network being analyzed against all the other data like who has time imagine the the amount of content created and managing all that it's incredible mm -hmm. so anyway if uh, just don't believe your stuff's really deleted it, they say it's a mistake and they've corrected it i find i if you post it online, even if Instagram deletes it, it could be a billion other places. Like, that's the other thing. There's so many different companies there. If you request it from Instagram, it's a Facebook company. Mm -hmm. And then they, there's data trading going on. Mm -hmm. So who knows where that thing flew? They'd be like, no, it's not on our servers. Yeah. It's in, uh, it's in China somewhere. Yeah, we just sold it because yeah. that was in the terms of service. Yeah. You know, I'm just talking. I'm just speculating. I'm having fun. I'm not making accusations. Of course, I wouldn't do such a thing. You have a Willie Do's gonna have a lawsuit in the inbox. <laughs> so we're just talking allegedly on everything, every story. It's all just alleged. TikTok rival Likey reaches 150 million users worldwide. That's a couple of users. You know what? I saw this story and I realized they've been advertising to me. Likey. Oh yeah. Let you shine. I want you to uh, head to their website, Will, real quick, if you don't mind. I don't know if it's likey.com, but see if you can if you can bring it up there. There it is, the second uh, likey.com. So here you go. Here's the homepage. Let you shine, global short video creation and sharing platform. You scroll down just a bit here, and here are some trending likeys. Does this remind you of anything? Mm. I'm into you? it already. It's 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 very TikTok-y. Yes. It's, it looks... Kind of like a clone. You're wondering why it would be taking off. Well, obviously, you have TikTok controversy. People are looking for new places to do their TikToking. Mm. And Likey has, of course, welcomed people onto their platform to the tune of around 150 million. But they've got a twist. Likey's got a twist, Will. Mm. You can actually give money to influencers through virtual gifts. Kind of like, I guess, a super chat on YouTube or a donation on Twitch. Okay. If you likey one of these TikToky looking things, then you can send some cash through straight to the person. To, they can generate a little revenue for themselves. Maybe they don't have to go to the advertiser as much. Hmm. And uh, so that's their angle. That's their extra piece. Of course, it's become a big topic because on TikTok, they were announcing they're going to spend $200 million at first and then ramp that up to a billion to pay creators to stay on the platform. The, the, the revenue piece is important to keep the thing growing. Right. And the proposition here is, well, why don't we just make it direct relationship between the producer, the content producer, and the person who's consuming it? Mm -hmm. And then probably I would assume they take a chunk. They get a, they get a cut. Coming all the way back to our earlier story about how the App Store operates. Uh, now, this is also a Chinese app, and it has Chinese roots. India was Likey's biggest market before the app was banned along with TikTok. So, okay, India crossed that one off potential for a potential place to operate. 
I believe it is still available in the U.S. Yes, Likey is one of TikTok's fastest-growing rivals. From July to early August, Likey accumulated 7.25 million downloads, dwarfing Hollywood-backed Triller, which is another competitor looking for your TikTok time, and uh, other other uh, rivals that are out there. This is this appears to be the one, but who knows how things go because of those the Chinese roots? It could just end up right. on the same list. Mm-hmm. And uh, and end up with similar problems. It is also growing rapidly in Russia and Indonesia. Singapore? Maybe possibly Singapore. Singapore. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Crack research team right there. I wanted to show you these pictures of the 2021 Mercedes-Benz S-Class interior. There are 80 new photos. I don't know if you know, Will, but many people consider the S-Class interior to be the ultimate luxury sedan interior. The best place to sit your butt for any period of time. And when I saw the pictures of this interior, I immediately thought, Willie Do would have himself a time in an interior like that. And I decided or I envisioned that you would be riding in the back of the S-Class, not in the front. You would have a chauffeur, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. That's very nice of you to uh Who would be driving you, in, yes, in your commute. And if you go to the photos here, you will see that they've redone everything. This is, well, it will obviously be one of the most luxurious interiors that you'll be able to sit in, whether you're driving it or riding in it. So just click through a few photos here. You may have to launch into the actual gallery. There you go. Look at that. could be you right there, man. I mean, that's uh, that's great. There's a headrest yeah. and a ton of leg room. There's a TV in front. It's like a tablet. I believe mm-hmm. that you can touch a touch screen. The uh, the the seat has all kinds of settings, co- uh, contour seating. It will cool you. It will heat you, of course. Hmm. Another thing this car has that's unusual: it has heated armrests. You see that? Oh, well, the okay. heated seat is not enough. You got to heat the armrest because your arms get chilly too in the winter time. They sure do. They sure do, don't they? Of course, you got the massage in there as well. They claim they have finer and more perforation in the seat so they can cool you better. Look at those headrests. You see those pillowy cushions? If you head back to the last image, you could rest your head there and those are heated as well. Hmm. Imagine I, how comfy I mean, you could I'm, be in I'm something like that. to it, along with my chauffeur. That's right. Now, they updated many other parts of this interior, including the display. It's a huge display now in the center, as well as another huge display behind the steering wheel. Everything is screen-based, whether you like it or not, you're living in the future. That's how you're going to interact with the thing. Massive display. It just feels new and cool. And I think your average uh, high-profile businessman is going to be very satisfied to roll around in this thing. Mm. I remember when I was in Germany, Will, these S-classes were everywhere on the street. You could just grab one instead of a taxi, instead of a oh. cab. Uh, and so I took a few rides. I took a ride to the airport, not in this S-Class, but the previous version. I had the passenger seat, front seat was all the way forward and it had the little footrest. I was just, mm. and there were no speed limits. So this guy's just fly, just, it was incredible. New leather, extremely fine perforation, optimum ventilation, it's incredible. So who knows, when we get the new studio set up, we'll get one of these in there as well. Yeah. And we will test you out in the backseat. I'll be the chauffeur. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. We'll do the show. We'll do this show from inside that interior. Perfect. Great sound isolation and everything. There you go. Heated armrests and door panels. Whoever knew you needed that heated as well. Speaking of cars that we're going to have in the new studio, the Cybertruck is obviously one of them. Uh, however, it's not available yet. And so many people who can't contain their excitement have decided to create their very own replicas. Now, up until this point, they've been sort of crude. This guy, however, has absolutely nailed it in a way that I didn't think would be possible if these images and video are to be believed. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a video clip here, which you can play, post it on Instagram. It almost, it looks unreal, but also real. He's driving down the road. Is that real? Come on, Will, tell me the truth. It looks like a a block. Is it real, though? Uh, Yeah. It's real. I think it looks real based on the reflections. Reflections and shadows, yeah. the drone. It's so close to the real thing. A guy just built it? Really? The other thing that is surprising to me, I mean, Electrek wrote about it, but at this moment in time, 
that post only has 664 likes. Hmm. It's kind of curious. But look at the reflection on the door panels. Now, the crazy part, if you scroll down a little further, they show the interior as well. How do you, how are you going to build? Oh, marble dash? How are you going to build this interior, Will? Go over to the next one. How are you going to build this interior, Will? Man, it, look, it looks great. It's crazy. Is that a fire extinguisher? Maybe he's nervous about his interior in as well. The whole thing is glass, one strip going across the top. What a crazy replica. This guy's, I mean, as for a DIY job, actually, Will, if you go down to the, just scroll to the next section here, you'll see there's a slider. You can look at the actual Cybertruck interior versus his. Not bad. It's not exact, but not bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's the best replica I've seen. The real question or the question that Electrek had is, is it even electric or is it a gas-powered truck retrofitted to look this way? Uh, of course, well, we don't know. It has a center armrest in the front section, which the interior on the Cybertruck, the image there that you have, does not. It has a third seat in there in the front row. It also seems like it has a little bit less leg room in the back seat. But either way, man, this guy is incredible. Imagine, where would we even start if we want to do a DIY? There's more video at the bottom. It's from Tesla Clubs Croatia, I believe. Like, that's a real video, right? Um, I would assume so. It's incredible. No door handles. This vehicle is, it's just, every time you see it in the real world, even though this isn't the actual one, but it will mm -hmm. look exact, it just seems so... Unreal. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. Amazing DIY project. Uh, speaking of the Cybertruck and Elon Musk and the hype around around anything Elon Musk, you can now spend $6,000 on an Elon Musk-themed iPhone from our friends over at Caviar. We've looked at their products in the past. They do these crazy... They did the Steve Jobs one, right? Mm -hmm. And they also... Did they do the billionaire one or was that somebody else? Uh... I can't forget. There were a few. There's been uh, so many of these uh, luxury phones. This one, what's special about this one, they claim that there's a chunk of a SpaceX rocket in it. Mm. And they're building it around the iPhone 12, which, mm. as you know, doesn't exist yet. But they're showcasing what it will eventually look like. They're going to be $5,830 each, featuring a little piece of history in the form of this chunk of steel, chunk of metal, you can see the tiny piece there. I know a number of people who would like that, but how did they get this metal? Uh, we don't know. Does it say there how they acquired the SpaceX metal? I don't think it even says. Limited series, 19 copies, pre-order only, obviously for now, based on an iPhone 12. It seems a little risky. You're going to be waiting a while. Hmm. We, we iPhone 12 dates are keep slipping into October, mm -hmm. but... I guess if you want one of 19, the uh, Musk Beyond Mars, what it says at the top there, the SpaceX iPhone 12, mm. Elon Musk themed. I mean, if you look, if you're if you have if you're interested in this six thousand dollar phone, I don't think you have to. You don't mind waiting. You yeah. just have that. That money's burning a hole in your pocket anyway. We can get it at the studio. We'll get it at the studio. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, so you guys don't have to. I'll 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 smell the fragment of SpaceX metal that's on there, and I'll tell you if it's authentic or not, just based on smell. Because <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Oh wow, this is interesting. Will empty apartments in Manhattan reach record high, topping thirteen thousand people have evacuated the city. Ooh. They've they've they're in search of greener pastures. I think many of them are probably relatively nearby. Maybe some of them are in vacation homes. Maybe some of them are out of there temporarily, and they plan on coming back, but they haven't come back yet. The number of apartments for rent or listing inventory more than doubled over last year and set a record for the 14 years since the data has started to been collected. Hundreds of thousands of residents left the city in March and April at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, uh, landlords hoped people would start coming back in the summer because things have kind of, mm -hmm. uh, well, fallen off a little bit in terms of new cases. They're trying to uh, bring bring things back. They had hoped that things would come back, but not so much. People are staying out of town. 
and it's having a massive impact. The number of new leases signed fell by 23%. Uh, the rental prices had their largest fall in nearly a decade, dropping 10%. Landlords are now offering close to two months of free rent to try to lure people in. It's still an expensive place to be, for the record. It's not five bucks for an apartment. Mm -hmm. And so some people will post online and say, yeah, right, here's a $10,000 a month studio. Well, yeah, those things are always going to exist and persist, but this is is indicative of a, a greater kind of thing going on in in the housing markets across many major cities in the face of this pandemic it turns out the the dense city is not exactly the best place to be if you're locked down mm -hmm. and many people i, I guess uh, began to consider that it's still very expensive as i mentioned the average rental price for a two-bedroom apartment in manhattan will four thousand six hundred and twenty dollars imagine that's that's a discount for you there will but yeah, you can it, look. It's a it's a tough gig out there. Many cities are experiencing the same thing. You you tell me in the audience. Are you scrambling to get into a big city right now, or are you scrambling to get out? I'm curious. Are you one of the hundreds of thousands of people who booked it, who left a big city during this pandemic? This one has a, a headline that I just love too much to leave out. It's the last story of the day. Famous alien hunting telescope slashed to pieces in mysterious midnight accident. Oh. Don't you love that headline right there? Doesn't that get you going? Uh, I mean, something. it's got mysterious in it. It has midnight in it. It has alien hunting in it. Mm. Everybody's uh, super into aliens right now. Mm -hmm. We uh, got all this new information. You go to read this story and it just turns out it's like pretty boring malfunction that took place really? yeah it's a pretty oh. boring malfunction they say that a on monday august 10 at approximately 2 45 a.m local time a metal cable at the facilities snapped slashing through the radar dish and tearing open a hundred foot long hole according to a statement from the university of central florida which operates the national science foundation owned facility the snapped cable smashed through several other cables and platforms that supported the dish causing debris to rain down on the ground making it harder for technicians to access the site. I mean, it looks, it looks devastated, actually, in the images. This particular site goes back to 1963. It's, it's at the bottom of a natural sinkhole in Puerto Rico, by the way, which would be a cool place to uh, examine the sky, obviously. It also has some famous, some famous connection here. Do you remember the movie Contact? Yeah. Well, I guess part of it took place over here. Oh. Searching for aliens, trying so. to make contact. Jodie Foster, remember that movie? I think Great I saw movie. it at a drive-in movie theater. Mm. Imagine young Lou wondering about the sky yeah. and the aliens. And the wormholes? Wormholes. Yeah. That was me sitting in the drive-in movie theater. Well, this is a little less exciting than that. But nonetheless, I give them points for an incredible headline and using the word, finding a way to use the word alien in 2020.